I had it, I had it all planned out. <laughs> I had it all planned out when I was um, 18, 19 years old. All planned out. I was going to go to college, um, get a, a ministry degree in youth ministry. A couple years in, I'd probably get married. I'd get married, and, and then soon after that, I'd have 2.5 kids. We'd have a dog, no cat. Um, and we'd find a great church to, to be ministering into, and I'd be a youth minister until, until I passed away. And I, I had it all planned out. Um, um, but God had just different plans. Um, and, and one thing was that, that I think part of it has to do, I, I've told you before, Kelly, she thought about going to the same college I was, but she ended up going to a different one, and she just slowed things down. Um, <laughs> if she'd only come to Southwest Baptist, it would have, everything would have been fine. But, uh, but there was, was times where I got to my mid-20s and my late-20s, and I'm like, this plan is really not working out. This is totally not the way I wanted it. And I just remember times of just crying out to the Lord and saying, Lord, your timing is too slow. And, and this is early on in life, but throughout, we walk through seasons where that's the cry, Lord, your timing is not what we have desired at all. And it's your timing, your face to show up is so overdue for you to come and rescue and relieve this situation, to step in. And we struggle with that, and we walk through those seasons. We help one another to, when we walk through those as well, and, and they can come within a week. Sometimes there's just a week, just something hits, and we're like, oh, and we're overwhelmed and weighted down with that. And we know that. We all know that. We've all walked through that. And again, the Psalms, they're places to go, and this Psalm is one, as we look at the second half of this Psalm, as we see David in the second half, it turns to lament, to cry out to God. I cry out to Him, hide not your face from me. Uh, don't allow my enemies to overcome me. And it's a prayer, a cry out to Him. In a time where there seems to be valley that there's walking through. And we know, too, that He describes that there's armies encamped around Him. And the psalm, we talked about how it kind of has two parts. And it begins with a psalm of just great confidence of who God is and what he has done. And we talked about this, how our God is unshakable and how the presence of our God is just incomparable to any other presence. And he speaks of these things and how God is our only shelter. And he speaks about putting, how God has put him on the high ground above all his enemies. And he speaks with great confidence in who God is. And we're, we're talking about how there's kind of like, how does he go from confidence to a lament? Uh, but we understand that in our life we walk through that ways, and sometimes we need to build that foundation of truth of who God is, even when our heart and our circumstance and our emotions tell us something different. It feels like God is so distant. We need to speak truth to our heart, and He begins with these truths, and we're reminded of those things even this morning as we look at this. But we recognize that it's taking a while for God to step in and rescue, and there's even a call to wait. Oh, that's not what we want to hear. Wait. <laughs> So the question might be, how do we pray? How do we pray when we're waiting on God, when God seems so distant and far from us? How do we pray in those moments? And this psalm helps us to know how we pray, because we need that instruction. And it begins with this honest prayer for the presence of God, just an honest prayer, a call to God for His presence to be near begins in verse 7, Psalm 27. 
Verse 7, Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Be gracious to me and answer me. So we see this, this call. as he spoken again, spoken of great confidence of who God is and what he has done? But then in desperation just spills forth prayer and lament and just cries out, Oh God, hear me. Be gracious to me. Oh God, answer me. And I think these are our prayers more often than not we pray like this. God, answer me. Hear me. Be gracious to me. We can pray and we can call out to God in these ways. This honest prayer for God to be gracious, for God to hear, for God to answer. And even, I think this is more than just to be reminded a little bit about prayer. What is prayer? Why do we pray? We're reminded of prayer just simply. It's, reminded, it's our act of communication with God. A God that calls us into relationship with Him and we're called to pray. And we can pray it through a voice prayer out loud. Sometimes it's a prayer in quiet, in the quiet of our soul. Sometimes it's a groaning of inner struggles where we just don't even have words to pray and we ask for the Holy Spirit just to intercede for us and pray what we don't even know. Our heart just groans within us. And then we pray together. We voice prayers. We come together and we lift up prayer together, sometimes silently, sometimes as one leads. or Sometimes, sometimes I wish I could, could take you into a room um, where back in China where brothers and sisters in Christ, we gather together and they would, just, they would just pray all together so you don't have to worry about prayer requests. So let's just pray them all and lift them all up together. And at first it, it, was, it was challenging, but then I just loved it. And so maybe someday we'll just do that and you guys will just lean into the awkward in the moment. But pray. Pray and prayer is that conduit of God's grace. It's a habit of uh, a um, habit of grace that God gives us, where He pours out His unfailing love in us in the midst of it. His grace and His mercy and His strength as we pray, and it's one of those conduits of His grace when we go to Him for prayer. And it's not just a mere thing we use to maintain our walk with Jesus, but really it's it's a root and a foundational thing in our walk with our God as we pray. We need to, to treasure prayer. We need to treasure it in our walk, our relationship with God, just like we treasure breathing for our physical life. That's how prayer we're called to in this relationship with Him. And, and yet, at the same time, we struggle. Um, struggle to pray at times. We need to ask. I think the disciples, when he, what, what did they ask Jesus to teach Him? Teach us how to pray. Uh, we need that. We need His strength. We need His direction. And, and we pray just a reminder of why we pray. We pray to God. It's an act of, of just faithful obedience. God says to us, he calls us in his word, pray. We looked in, in Ephesians, if you remember, in Ephesians chapter 6, and we looked at the all y'alls of prayer, how he calls us to pray at all times, all types of prayer for all peoples. Um, even Paul, pray for him, pray for all people need prayer. We're just called to pray, to pray without ceasing and there's this cry out to, to pray. So we're reminded that we're just called to pray. And saying we're also called to pray just because we pray just to enter into deeper fellowship with God. We have a God who desires a relationship with us. So he says, pray, speak with me. Even when Jesus taught his disciples to pray, he said, Father, begins with Father. This is personal relationship and address of God as Father. And we're called to pray. And finally, it's not because God is uninformed about our situation that we got to let him know about our thoughts and our situation and our trials and our joys and our struggles, but because prayer, it's an expression of our trust in God, our faith in Him. He's a God who listens and He calls us in and we know that He will listen. And we pray like this, Hear, O Lord, when I cry out loud, be gracious to me and answer me. He calls out. And then verse 8, says, you have, you, have, you have said, seek my face. My heart says to you, your face, Lord, 
do I seek? And there's just a cry of obedience to seek the face of the Lord. This is seeking the presence of God and wanting to be in his presence, to have the presence of God, of his grace and his mercy and his strength. And he seeks the face of the Lord and he prays out to him, Lord, I seek your face. Show your presence. Think of Psalm 31.16. I think maybe I have that one in the slide. Make your face shine on your servant. Save me in your steadfast love. That's that sturdy, steadfast, stubborn love of God. Psalm 105.4. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. Just seeking after God and his presence and his fellowship. And Hebrews 4.16. We're reminded how can we enter into the presence of a holy God? It's through Jesus Christ who lived a life we could not died in our place and rose again victorious and calls us to himself that we can be forgiven and redeemed. This is let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then one of my favorite verses, 1 Peter 5, 6 through 7. I love this verse. Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God that in the proper time he might lift you up, that he might exalt you. And casting all your cares and your anxieties upon him because he cares for you. A call to seek the presence of our God. And here it almost seems that the David, as he prays out to God, he's not just seeking, he's seeking more than just the answer to that prayer. He's seeking God. He's desiring God himself, not just a far off answer flung at him from afar. But he's seeking the nearness of God, the clarity of God, a, a breaking in in that cloud of darkness of God. It's a little bit like Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I'm God. He's seeking God himself, even more than that answer of prayer. And we walk through prayers and we pray like this and we should pray like this. And sometimes we need to recognize that we need to desire God even more than the answer that maybe we're looking for, that he might be nearer us in the moment of our prayer. And there's times where I prayed like this in desperation before God on my face. And uh, I'd like to say every time I just got a clear answer, but I haven't. But I've felt the nearness of God in those moments and his grace to get up from that floor and, and press on to what he's called me to. Amen. Verses 9 and 10. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. O you who have been my help, cast me not off. Forsake me not, O God of my salvation. For my father and my mother have forsaken me, but the Lord will take me in. So just a pleading again to God, this humble pleading before God to come. He's the God who is his light and his salvation and his stronghold. And he prays, but he feels totally abandoned. Uh, everyone is abandoning him. I think even this call that hey, my, my mom and my dad have abandoned me, uh, it may be that he's even speaking proverbially. He's just saying, everyone is gone from me. Uh, or maybe they've passed on. I, I, we don't know the full circumstance, but it's an d- idea of speaking, I am, I am alone. But God, don't leave me alone. Don't hide your face from me. But there's times where, where God does feel absent um, and distant. But we can pray like this. We're called in. We're not alone. And God feels far from us. And we doubt. And we wonder. And we can meditate on these things and think upon these things and think about who he is and cry out to him and ask him to be near. And that's too, even why we gather together, I think, 
as a gathering. I think of last week, um, if you were here, we, I showed just a short clip from the Voice of the Martyrs um, from our brothers and sisters in Christ in Pakistan and how in Pakistan there's so few believers and those who have trusted Christ and follow after him, there's great persecution upon their life. And they are relegated to doing jobs like we saw, like someone, it was a street cleaner, but it wasn't driving a truck cleaning streets. It was picking stuff up with shovel in hand and cleaning up trash of the city. And then another making bricks. And then another who submerged himself in, in a sewer to clean it. He was one that, that was his job because that's all he could do. But then they show this beautiful picture where they're gathered together, praising the Lord God together together. And no doubt there's times where it feels like God has abandoned me. My father and my mother have abandoned me. And yet as they gather, they're reminded of who God is. And they lift up his name together. We need to do that. We need to be a people that gather together even in those ways. And even David, in the midst of this, as he goes and laments and prays and struggles with God, he still says in here, he says, Oh, you who have been my help. Oh, God of my salvation. And it says, The Lord who... Uh, but the Lord will take me in. He will bring me in. He just, again, speaks truth to his heart and reminds himself of these things that are true. It's a little bit like Psalm 42, 5 through 6 that we've, we've studied, Psalm 42 before. And it just prays, Lord, oh, my soul, why are you so downcast on my soul? Why are you in turmoil within me? Put your hope in God. He's speaking to himself. Oh, why am I so down and discouraged? Oh, put my hope in God. I shall praise him, my salvation and my God. As a reminder to you, even after, even I think I was studying it, maybe this morning I was thinking of this, and it may have been a year or so ago I shared about an older saint at Calvary Inglewood who she encourages me. She sends like texts of encouragements and prayers, and she asks how I'm doing and different things. And um, she went, though, through during the COVID time, a time of just great deep, dark depression where she felt, she said, just her body and soul felt numb, she said. But I remember she also said, though, in the midst of that deep, dark, just numbness, she said, I could still sense the presence of God. He was far off, but he continued just to draw me near slowly. And sometimes it is a bit that way, and we need to stand on truth in those moments where it feels like there's, it's just a distant voice of our God. But he calls and he draws us in. And here we have these prayers that draw us in just to pray for the presence of God. Just honest prayers before our God. And then humble prayers, verse 11 through 12. Humble prayer for God's guidance. We need the guidance of our God in the midst of these things. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me on a level path because of my enemies. Give me not up to the will of my adversaries for false witnesses have risen against me, and they breathe out violence. So here he just humbly prays for guidance, asks God to to lead him, to teach him, to guide him. If you remember back in Psalm 25, it was similar to that in verses 4 and 5 in Psalm 25 when he studied that. Make your way known. Make me to know your way, O Lord. Teach me your path. Lead me in your truth and teach me. For you are the God of my salvation. For you I wait all day long. Just that prayer, Lord, guide me, teach me, lead me. And that's what he's praying here. And he recognized that he's not strong enough. He doesn't have enough wisdom. He doesn't have enough strength. He doesn't have enough. He needs the Lord. He comes 
humbly before him, lead me, teach me. And here I get this picture of that, of a battlefield where he's having to traverse and go through amongst enemies. And if there had been minefields at that time, I would see a picture of minefields of going in and lead me, guide me. Everywhere I step, there's enemies coming against me. And sometimes we walk through those times and we need the wisdom of our God. I think times I think if anyone, uh, well, all of us and anyone in any kind of leadership over the last couple of years walking through stuff of COVID, it's been a, like a minefield. Like, Lord, I've been like, Lord, lead me, guide me. How do we walk through this? And then walk through issues of racial, racial reconciliation and political issues and name it. That's all come and I pray, God, lead me, guide me. But there's a humility to it, an open-handedness, a need, a desperation. Lord, I need you. Guide me. We need the wisdom of our God. And really, I think humility is the first step to, to wisdom and a fear of God, of coming to God with open hands, that we need him. And even our, our step to Jesus, Jesus calls us to repent, to turn from our sins and trust in him. And there's a humility in that saying, then I can't do it on my own. I'm not strong enough. I've got sin. I am a sinner in need of a Savior, and He calls us to turn from our sin and trust in Him. And there's even that call today to trust in Him as Lord and Savior, that it's a step of humility to lay down all the strength that we have. Sometimes we, we walk through things and we think, well, I've studied enough, I've strengthened, I've done enough, whatever it might be, physically, mentally, emotionally, but in all reality, we need God to lead and guide us. We need Jesus. We need the good shepherd to take us and take us to those green pastures and to those still waters and to restore our soul. And then again, that attack. It's like there's false attack, false testimony coming against him. I think often that's the case. The enemies come and attack with false things. And the enemy loves, Satan loves to use just false attacks even upon who we are uh, to attack and destroy a couple um, examples of that. I do think of, of the life choices, the, life, uh, the crisis pregnancy centers, not just here, but across our nation. And I think that in Longmont, um, there are the life choices. Is, I mentioned last week, but maybe if you weren't here, you just didn't hear it. It was, um, I was uh, vandalized and burned, and it'll be a year or more before they can even open up again. But there's this just false testimony about what they do. But you talk to the women who go there. They're loved on, they're cared for, they're given resources. Uh, they're spoken truth to them. They're, they're encouraged along the way. Uh, and yet, um, we hear that, oh, no, they're, they're just trying to destroy somehow. But no, no, they're there to, to hand out and give out life and give out the truth. I also think of just in the way that uh, Satan often attacks identity. Uh, this week went to a conference. Calvary had one up in Inglewood, and I went to a breakout session about counseling, and they just talked about how often Satan attacks by just attacking who we are, and we, we come away with thinking, man, I'm just, I'm just nothing, <laughs> you know, or I, I never will measure up, or, or I um, am never worthy, or whatever it might be in these attacks. And I even thought they pointed to you, and I, I, think, I think this is... Um, this is true. I look at the story of, in Matthew 4, when, when Satan comes and tempts Jesus. Um, and he comes to Jesus and he says to Jesus, If you are the Son of God, turn those, those stones to bread. Or if you are the Son of God, you jump off the temple and you, you'll be saved. Angels will come and rescue you. And if you are, and I think there often Satan comes and just attacks us 
with lies of who we are. We just have to be reminded that we are, are, are children of God, rescued and redeemed and uh, made precious in Him. So God, He's not unaware um, of what we wrestle through. Go to Him in prayer, in humble prayer, asking to lead and guide us. And then verses 13, 13 through 14, we have this patient just prayer of confidence, this ending prayer of confidence in our God. Uh, so there's lament, but back to confidence. He says, I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. So just a confidence that, that the Lord, His goodness, His presence, it will show up. <laughs> it will show up on the scene, even in the midst of His life now, um, even in this life under the sun. Um, God's goodness and mercy will come, even if it is a moment-by-moment moment type of mercy, but it will come. And he just concludes with this. Um, and there's just even just this prayer um, that he draws everybody in is his confidence that he's had that the Lord will rescue and the Lord will show up and his goodness will appear even in the middle of his difficulties. And he says and calls everyone in verse 14, wait, it's kind of like a call out. There's been a lot of internal prayer and then a call out to everyone that's listening. Wait for the Lord. Be strong. Let your heart take courage. Wait for the Lord. A cry out for all to hear to wait upon Him. He will rescue. He will bring you strength. And it's interesting. You think of a lot of times in the scripture when it says, Be strong and courageous. Uh, it's right before uh, someone goes into battle. Think of Joshua. Be strong and courageous. He's going to go into battle. But here, the be strong and courageous is wait. For the Lord. Isn't that interesting? We need strength and courage even just to wait upon our God and wait for Him. It's not easy to wait, but to be strengthened with Him and strengthened with His courage and His grace and His mercy. Wait upon the Lord. Think of Ephesians 6.10 uh, and verse 13 that we studied not long ago. And it said, be strong in ourselves. No, 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 it didn't say that, right? No, it says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the strength of His might. That's what we need to hear. Wait upon Him. Be strong and courageous. Wait in His strength. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to, to stand firm. Uh, we just need to continually do that, to put on that armor. I need that this morning. Sometimes you... Um, just let, let you in on a secret. Sometimes on Sunday mornings, pastors, it's, sometimes it can be hard mornings. I don't know why. And you have to, I have to put on that armor of God, but on the breastplate of righteousness and the, get that shield of faith and the helmet of salvation and be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Maybe why in 2 Timothy 2.1, where Paul, he's, he's writing to Timothy, he's in the midst of, figuring out how to be a pastor and lead a people. And it says, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Oh, isn't that good? Be strengthened by grace. Be strong in the grace that's in Christ Jesus that he pours out for you, his mercies, his grace. Be strong in that. And then I also, as I've studied this, I was thinking about another passage. Because, well, I guess I've been, I've been reading in Jeremiah, so it came to mind. Uh, there's a, a passage, well-known passage and chapter. Well, actually, just the passage, the chapter is not as much familiar, but we need to know the, the passage or the chapter to understand the passage. But let me read the verses that we're familiar with. 
Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare, not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and, and come and, and pray to me, and I will hear you. You will seek my face and find me. When you seek me with all your heart, I will be found by you, declares the Lord. I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations of all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Now, um, these these are great words and promises of the Lord that he has a good plan for his people. Uh, But Jeremiah 29, it's in the midst of a people that were defeated. Um, Jerusalem, Israel, all defeated and sent into captivity into Babylon. And God says, hey, in this passage, he says, I want you to seek the welfare of the city that you're in, this foreign city that you're in, and and pray for it, because you're going to be there at least 70 years. So he's saying a whole lifetime, you're going to be in exile. So for most people, that meant maybe my kids and grandkids get to go back. Uh, in this. And, and yet in the midst of it, he says, hey, I still have a plan for you in the midst of it. But sometimes it means um, not experiencing all that we hope to experience. It means waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord, waiting upon the Lord. There's a, a well-known illustration by C.S. Lewis, and I've heard it used in different ways. And, and I came across it being used to even talking about waiting on God, and I found it helpful for myself. And the illustration is that C.S. Lewis writes, he writes about uh, a tool shed that's out back, and he goes to this tool shed, and he goes in, and it's dark. It's dark tool shed. There's not lights on. It's during the day, though, but you close that door, and it's still dark in there. And, and through the door, there's a crack in the door, and a light beam that comes through that door that shines in in the midst of the darkness there, but still this dark tool shed. And as this light comes down, you can, if you look at the beam, you can see dust in it and dust particles. You know, we've seen that before. We understand that. But then C.S. Lewis then talks about then moving into that beam of light and looking up into the beam. And he says how he can see through it. And all he can see then is light. And he sees then the trees above and the expanse of the sky when he looks along that beam of light. And sometimes I heard that used, just even talking about the goodness of our God. Sometimes in our life, we, we see good things in our life. It might be by that new job or something, or maybe the birth of a grandchild or a child. And we look at that and we're called to rejoice in that. But then we look at the, the giver of that, that great beam of light of his grace. And we see the expanse of who God is in his glory. But it's a little bit like that with waiting. Sometimes we're in the dark, <laughs> And we need to look upon the beam of God's goodness and see his light and see that there's more, that this darkness in this moment isn't the destination. Um, it isn't the destination. Our destination is ultimately with our God. And this is what the author wrote. He said, waiting for God is like standing in the dark, but looking along the beam of light that, God, that comes from God, knowing the source of light gives us confidence that outside the dark, dark, oh, I'm sorry, darkened shed that describes our lives, light bathes the whole landscape. Light will not be overcome by darkness, but will vanquish it. It is that kind of vision of God that gives us the courage to wait in confidence. It's a great picture. Our God is such. A, and I think of even Jesus. Um, he is the light of the world. And he came in, and the darkness did not overcome him. 
That's from John 1, 5. This is the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. In John 9, or chapter 1, 9 through 10, the true light which gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. Jesus is that, that light of the world, um, the truth of the gospel. And even in the midst of that darkness of the shed, Maybe you're in that tool shed right now and it's hard to see and recall the look to Jesus who's one who understands the darkness of that, who even went to the point of dying on the cross where he separated from the God, the Father, and endured the wrath for our sins in our place, but then didn't stay on the grave, but rose again victorious, reminding us too that in him there is victory over sin and that we look to eternity with him and his kingdom and there's light in that. I know I look back and, man, I, I had it all planned. <laughs> but God had, had something different and better for me. I mean, can rest and trust and wait upon our God. Wait upon Him. Be strong and courageous and wait upon the Lord. Let's pray.